0: I would never put someone's money into something that I wouldn't be prepared to put my own money into, whether it's the calibre of the build, the property, the street it's on, all of the other, you know, bits and pieces that come into that equation when you're looking to buy a property. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to She Renovates. So, today I want to welcome back my occasional co-host, Joe Vadillo. Joe's my good friend. She's uh, the owner and CEO of Property Women. She's 50% of the business, the Property Advocate Services. She runs that with her gorgeous husband, Greg. So, today we're going to be talking about the market. So, a lot of people have been asking, do I sit it out and wait until the market cools down? When is the market going to cool down? And so I thought because Jo is out there beating the path through the property market every single day, that I would ask her to come in and fill you in on what's happening out there in the jungle. So welcome, Joe.
0: Uh, Thank you, Bernadette. And Jungle's a really good way of defining what's going on out there at the moment. Uh, (laughs) Really? It's a battleground. i tell you what, it's like I go to open homes on Saturdays and I'm almost like, I've got this because you've got to go into the queues and the surge of crowds and auctions. And sometimes I'm the victor and sometimes I'm just sitting back watching going, oh, wow, that's a big price. (laughs) I know. It is amazing. It seems that some buyers have bottomless pockets. I think some buyers are fed up with looking and I think it just gets to a point where they're fatigued, they're selling shares, they're borrowing parents, the money funds off parents, they get an advance on inheritance, they're just sick of losing their Saturdays, um, sick of dropping $500 in pest and building reports only to walk away from an auction, unsuccessful. So I do think that's what's happening. There is a bit of buyer fatigue going on out there and a lot of disappointment. I've been to a number of auctions lately, both voyeuristically and actively, and there's still a multitude of bidders. I'm always fascinated by how many people are out there bidding. And I think the weekend just gone, the property sold $300,000 above the guide, and that's probably the closest I've seen to hitting the guide wow. in the last wow. few months yeah um, you know I've seen eight hundred forty thousand dollars over the guide anyone who's looked at in the media they hear the reports so are million dollars over it's just a little bit that can reflect on the agents and the what they're providing as a guide and but to be fair when the market's moving as, as viciously as what it is sometimes it's very hard for them to put a fair price guide when they first go to market
1: yeah you yes I would agree but I do think that some agents are, are being a bit cute. I know we went to bid on a property in New Lampton in Newcastle yeah. and the guide was $850 plus. and in reality it was a $1.3 to $1.4 million property and everyone knew it. The agents had feedback to that effect but they did not move that guide yeah. to auction day. And interestingly, it only went, I say only, it only went for $1.278. And there were quite a lot of bidders, I think about 10 bidders. We were the only ones who got a pest and building report. And in actual fact, we realised that there was about $100,000 worth of structural work to be done under the house in order to make it safe because it had been renovated by one of those old school Mediterranean renovators who just do their thing and in actual fact had undermined the footing. So, yeah, it's
0: very interesting. Yeah, look, and agents are meant to, when the market feedback at open homes comes in, and they're meant to move those parameters. And I have seen it happen where they are rejigging the numbers a little bit. But this is also reflective of the fact that fair trade are out there and watching agents and their behavior. And I mentioned just before going to an auction where it went $840,000 over I know for a fact that that agent had already knocked back an offer ten percent over the guide, but the guide was never changed. So that's that's a blatant. That's going against. That's that's illegal. What they did was yeah. wrong. That's, it's, yeah, it's tough.
1: So wrong. And I, I to be honest with you, I understand why they try to keep the price low. We all do that. We all try and keep the guide low in order to encourage a wide pool of people. But we, it's, there is a law around, I think it's 10%, isn't it? You're allowed 10%, 10%, 10% leeway. Percent. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just don't understand why they do what they do. In fact, I had a meeting with our agent Con this morning and he mentioned to me that he felt that a lot of Agents were burning bridges; that they were doing, being quite unscrupulous and not with no regard for their relationship with the buyer. And now they do have a code of conduct that they need to observe in terms of the seller. Their, their loyalty needs to be with the seller. Yeah, but doing being unscrupulous will doesn't get you very far in the business, does it?
0: Yeah, no, not at all. And especially if you're a, an area agent where. That person buying might want to sell in half a decade and you're still exactly. working in that area. It's yeah. a very short-sighted marketing plan if you're causing a lot of difficulty on them getting their foot in the door in the suburb as well. But with that said, agents, I am hearing a lot more from them that more people are coming to market. There are more properties coming to market. In terms of how hot the market is, I'm not seeing any slowdown necessarily in the price, but yeah. I am seeing probably stabilizing as opposed to it keep climbing. There is there just more vendors are coming to market. A lot of vendors were scared to put their house in the market because they're worried that what then do they buy? Where do they go when they sell? So it's a bit of a catch-22. But we all need to buy and sell for various reasons at any given point. And, and I feel now that we're just starting to see a little bit more stock come on. So it's becoming a little bit more of a fair playing ground. However, <laughs> you do get the opens with 70 people outside the door. There's no question about it. We had a really good month in May in terms of um, a national core logic set on nationally. We had a 2.2% price increase. Wow, that's, that's up from April. April was at one8 but March actually was a 32-year record in terms of it. The surge was something like 2.8%. And that's on a national, every capital city seen a rise. Then who predicted this?
1: <laughs> no one. No, it's bizarre, isn't it? But it's um it's funny. I like I've had a few conversations with some of my clients who I don't think are moving quickly enough, not getting into action. And like in a market like this, when the market when it's moving like that that taking six months to to buy a project could be costing you like $50,000 in profit because the the properties are growing. Now, we never factor that into our um, feasibility, but it's real at the moment, like 2% a month. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just, I'm predominantly working with people looking for houses and that's building houses, brand new and established houses. So my experience at the moment is more in that factor, not so much the apartments, but even with the builds, build prices are going up. So the cost of timber, the cost of steel. All of that's impacting. So if you're in the process of thinking of building or looking to do so, each month that goes past, that sort of, that uplift is happening behind the scenes. And this is not greedy developers or greedy builders. This is a a supply issue on a global scale because this building boom is happening in North America. I'm I'm hearing from builders that things like timber are up like 120%. I can't remember the numbers precisely, but who's paying for that? At the end of the day, you as the buyer is going to be the person that's going to be on your build contract as well. So you're right in saying, don't sit on your hands for too long, not to put the fear, but it's just that at this point, there is no necessary slowdown and you better, especially if you want to renovate, get in now. And then therefore you can, if you're looking to flip as well, you'll be doing so within the same calendar year. And who who knows where we're going to stand by, where it's going to look like.
1: Yeah, I always think the safe way to go is to assume that the market's not going to rise. Make sure that you've got at least 10% buffer and progress with caution. That's the way I deal with a volatile market. And it's pretty clear that nothing's going to change in interest rates terms for the foreseeable future. I think the only thing that could really put the skids on the market would be if the regulators were to step in. And that is a possibility. So hopefully the market will stabilise on its own and that won't be required.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 And look, people are feeling disheartened. I am still seeing opportunities that are off market. And I know I've spoken to your audience before about off market properties, or off market tech technically means it's off portal. But this yeah. is, I'm talking about properties that might be listed with an agent, yet it's not on real estate or domain. So I think the tip is in a market like this is to start picking up the phone and asking what have you got coming to market, what's pre-market, what opportunities are there because sometimes vendors are very motivated by their own personal circumstances and that could be that they want to buy something, they've found something they fall in love with and they need a really swift good but to be done so quickly minus the cost of staging cost of prepping your home and the stress that can come with that and there's also big marketing costs behind hitting real estate and domain as well so absolutely yeah i think that's something to be really important with build the rapport with the local agents and be asking those sorts of questions as well
1: oh look i so look that's Really, pretty much how I've got any really good deal. Once again, I mentioned I was talking to Con this morning, and I was asking him about warehouses because Stephen and I are having a disagreement about our place, and he his suggestion was maybe we should sell and buy another one. And I thought, yeah, that's not going to happen. I bet it is. <laughs> yeah, but I, I said to Con, have we got any? Have you got any? What have you got that I could look at? And it, the deal he's got is there's no way we're going to buy it for ourselves because it's not what I want but it's off market and it's a flipping ripper and it is a warehouse and it's a shell of a warehouse, which is mm. everyone's dream. So those relationships, really the way to get in at the back end and get a great deal. And even with you, you have see deals all the time coming up and so you would go to your current clients and say, I've seen this fantastic deal. So building relationships with property professionals is um, the best way. And I absolutely agree with you. Like I have people saying to me, oh, I I can't find a deal. I think there is always a deal. There's always a deal. The the market's not your problem. You are your problem because you've got that mindset that you won't find the deal. And that's going to be at the biggest impact. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely. It is, it's rapport and with agents. And i I pick up the phone whenever I'm looking in an area and I have those conversations with the agents. Obviously, a lot of them I already know, but I'm like, I've got this particular client. I know they're finance ready because the agents want to know it's going to be easy to proceed with the client. And there's an opportunity where the gentleman's in his mid-70s. He doesn't want the hassle of the marketing. His property is certainly not styled as such for the area that he's selling in. And again, he wants a particular number. That number is probably not competitive. If he went to market, I should say, he would get a higher number. But he has a number he wants so he can downsize and and that's a beautiful opportunity where there could be an instant $75,000 uplift for the next person who purchases it. So, like, it's we're talking about the next day of after ownership. Yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah. It's funny because I was talking to another buyer's agent that you and I both know who she told me about the same similar thing. She said, have you got any students that might be interested in this? But the family are specific that they want it to go to another family. They don't mm-hmm. want it to be an investment property. So they're prepared to sell it at around about a hundred thousand less than the going rate because they specifically want it to go to a family. Now we could do that, we could do that one stage removed if we were to renovate it and sell it, but I wouldn't buy it from them and say, yes, we're a family and then not do that. I just think that would be out of integrity, but for a, a great opportunity for a family wanting to get into their first home. And, but that's again around having that relationship with the agent and having them come to you. So if that particular agent had a database of people of which he knew were looking for a first home, that would, so don't discount. Building relationships with your agents. I think they're in terms of getting properties at the right price, they're your best chance. But there's no point in like you have to do it when times are slower. You can't go in and decide now I'm going to start building relationships with agents when they're absolutely flat chat and haven't got time to have a coffee or whatever. So, yeah, it needs to be an ongoing thing. Yeah,
0: they are time poor. And when I don't get much traction out of my phone calls, I will go to opens even if the house doesn't interest me just because I want to put my face to the agent's face and ask the questions, which I did on Saturday and I got some really good intel on another property. So it is all about that human relations. And that can be difficult for some people who aren't natural communicators, but there's other ways. There's, I do text agents and I let them know I'm a buyer's agent. I'm just looking for this. Or if I'm doing market research, would you please give me an insight as to what that potentially sold for at auction because the number's not disclosed. And generally I'll get that. They'll be able to help me out or give me some sort of indication. Email, just to be, just introduce yourself. I'm an investor. I'm ready to go. My finances are in order and this is what we're looking for. I really appreciate any insight and just, yeah, keep it courteous, keep it professional. And, And then when it comes time to negotiate in a market like this, you really don't have huge amount of room to play games or to negotiate too ruthlessly on price. It depends on what your terms are as well. So if you're going to come at a deal and be able to provide, if you do a 66W like in New South Wales, where it's under auction terms, agents love that Sellers love that. So you might be able to play on your numbers and your negotiations a little bit better because you're giving them a really strong number still and they're securing the sale that day. So make sure you do everything behind the scenes quickly. Make sure that your contract's reviewed, your pest and billing has been done or you've been able to buy one that's already been done by the agent or the vendor, I should say. And just make sure everything's done yeah. cleanly and hand it over to
1: them, and then it's done. Yeah. The trouble with that is often, if people are getting a loan, the banks are not very slow to move. That finance is often a um, bit of a hobble, as in terms of yeah. being able to do the sixty-six, which is I think for people like for, first home buyers can be a bit of a you know stumbling block.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, I'd
1: agree with that. Yeah, even
0: the five-day cooling off that we get in New South Wales isn't enough in time. I know it's so frustrating, it's isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So you've got to have a fallback position. Yes, or it's otherwise it's a risk. An example of the impact of unconditional as opposed to conditional. We were selling a property last week, and we got a. It was two properties actually. We got a conditional offer of two point four one million, and it was with a ten day cooling off. And they messed around. So they were going to exchange on Friday and they didn't. And then come Monday, that wasn't 10 day cooling off, it was 10 day due diligence process because it's a development site. Come Monday, they then started saying they wanted to inspect the houses and this and that before they exchanged. And in the meantime, we got another offer for $90,000 more, unconditional, signed, sealed and delivered. So guess which way we went. Yeah.
0: That's yeah, I, I know. Report. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Just oh, $90,000. That's always an uptipping point. <laughs> oh,
1: seriously, I would have taken it because I was starting to get a bit annoyed about, I knew it was worth what we were asking for, but I was starting to get a bit impatient with this changing the rules business. So that's what happens when you mess around. Yeah. You get yeah. picked at the post, particularly yeah. in this market. You've got to pick your time, I think, more than anything.
0: Yeah. Did you and make a good point about the, the the banks and the delays that they've got? Again, making sure that you are pre-approved and your finances are close, and your broker is giving you a really strong indication of how long a valuation might take as well. So okay. this comes... Comes back to that whole having a team around you that you can pick up the phone and speak to somebody. This is why I love working with brokers as opposed to going direct to the lenders, unless you've got a private bank, which I know some banks do provide that service, but it's just nice to have someone be acting for you and be able to give you that feedback as well. I agree because hanging on the end of the phone is a thankless way
1: to spend your life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it summed it up perfectly. I can't stand it. So well, let's talk about the difference between apartments and houses.
0: In terms of the, the current market and the, the price, and I can only say what my clients are coming to me wanting and seeking, and at this present point, it's not so much apartments that I'm finding. But then I am talking to a lot of mum and dad investors predominantly and they've got the sort of sums that are putting them into areas like outside of Sydney. So we're talking a little bit more on the regional side of things or Central Coast, Newcastle, and the same with Brisbane, not so much Brisbane City Council but on those outskirt fringes like Moreton Bay Council and Ipswich and Logan. So that's the kind of budget that a lot of people come to us with. Yeah. Yeah. And they want houses, which is fair enough, but they also want houses in commutable distance to employment where there's great infrastructure. So I'm finding the demand for that's there and it's really strong. And I think this is like the post-lockdown world where a lot of uh, workplaces are easing up on those how many days you have to be in the office so people are able to move a little bit further fulfilled with get a bigger house. Yeah, there's a little bit of a, just a bit of a shift in the climate in that respect. However, I think always living close to the CBD is always going to be a good thing. And if apartments, and maybe this is a good opportunity. Sorry, don't get me wrong, The Apartment market's still doing okay. Yeah. I just see more of a demand for houses at present.
1: Oh, uh, look, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, the, the apartment market's definitely gone up because uh, I noticed this more this morning a one better in a block that I know really well, just recently went for nine hundred and thirty thousand for one better. Wow. And that was in Moor Park Gardens just down the road from it. Yeah. So it's definitely the market's gone up, but it's nowhere near as hot as the house market. And so that's where I think there are some opportunities because it's not going to it's not going to be slower forever. And I think it's from a renovating point of view, I feel a little bit more comfortable when the market's more stable. But I know that they're still getting their prices. They're still getting good prices, although there is more stock coming on the market. And But there's been standout buyers. Every property has someone that's just fallen in love with it and they've had to have that. So it's, and I think also that the narrative in the media helps every market. So everyone goes thinking that the market's really hot. And so I have to be realistic about what I pay, whereas at other times it's not.
0: I was just going to ask you, what do you recommend to people who want to buy, renovate and and you know flip in this market now what what well, recommendations do you have for them
1: look it's always better to renovate a house if you've got if it's in your budget mainly because you've got full control of the project you're not having to answer to a an owners corporation but i wouldn't suggest that an apartment is a an Unattractive offer, if that's what your budget allows you to do, there's still good money to be made in an apartment. Like we do projects across the spectrum. I've got one that's 28 square metres that's currently sitting in the two hard box because I need to get my act together and get it going, right up to bigger projects. So we've put the money together for our class project and we decided to look in Newcastle mainly because I haven't done a house for ages and I wanted to do a house. Yeah, And so I'm finding, like we're looking around the million mark. If I'm buying in Sydney, a million dollars will probably buy me a two better. Whereas, so I'm going, like going to the regional, it's a regional city to a million dollars will buy me a a house to renovate in a reasonably good suburb. And yeah, we've probably got a few options up our sleeve. I'm also looking at Wollongong. I really want to do a project in Wollongong. And Sheree, Lamb and I have teamed up to find something there, although we've I always find distractions along the way. But, yeah, I think that there's money to be made in any market. It really just does depend on your budget more than every anything. And you just, we make it work.
0: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it is a matter of just keep looking, keep and don't lose heart and yeah. turn every stone and keep asking the questions. Yeah. And, and even as a buyer's agent, I'm looking at real estate and I'm looking domain. I'm looking at the agent's websites. I'm picking up the phone, getting off markets. I'm on a lot of their VIP lists and all that kind of stuff. So I get a lot of those things organically anyway, which is yeah. awesome, but doesn't always match what my briefs are for my yeah. clients. But the other thing is quirky spots like Gumtree where people do try and sell properties off market. And for whatever reason, it doesn't even make logic sense. It's a false economy where people think I'll sell this and I'll save myself the agent's fees. I know, it's
1: crazy, isn't
0: it? Yeah. People out there who will do it and let's leverage off that relationship and it's another opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. And Facebook
1: Marketplace is another place that people list properties.
0: Ah, okay. There you go. (laughs)
1: So yes, don't leave any stone unturned. I reckon that the sweet spot, if this works in your area, is townhouses. And uh, not, yeah, townhouses where you've got a little bit of land. Yeah. And so you've got the lower buy-in price, but you've got some land and you've got some autonomy. But someone I was speaking to someone the other day, and, and this is a question for you, Joe. I could not work out why she bought in Brisbane when she lives in Adelaide and doesn't have a home herself. And so she had bought in Brisbane and I said, so why did you buy in Brisbane? And she said, oh, because it was a really good deal and she paid $300,000, $400,000 for it and that the land alone was worth three hundred. Mm. What is the value of having a townhouse where the land is of high value? You can't use it.
0: I so- don't even know how you could build that. It must be quite a modest townhouse.
1: Yeah, so I think there were five townhouses on the block, and her assumption was that the block was worth one point five million, and she had paid four hundred thousand for the townhouse. Um,
0: So one point five. Yeah,
1: it sounded a bit like a marketing spiel from an agent to me, but I was just really curious to think: would you factor in the price of the land? It's like where we live. If we factored in that if our land was vacant, I'm sure that would be very high value too. But mm. it's it's never going to be vacant. You're never going to be able to build on it. So it's bizarre.
0: Unless it was a two part contract, is where me where when it's a two part contract, you're paying stamp duty on the value. It bill. was already
1: built. Oh, done. Okay, no, that yeah. I thought yeah. it sounded a bit like a fee, but I couldn't really get
0: to the bottom of it. Perhaps yeah. that was the way the agent was trying to show the value. That's building.
1: what I yeah. think. Yes. Yeah. Which, like, this is a bit off track, but I really think that if you don't have a home yourself and you've got some money to invest, it makes sense to invest in a property that you could call your family home, Mm -hmm. even if you never want to. Because if you meet the requirements for it being your family home and you make improvements to that family home, then it's likely that you can claim the capital gain tax free. I said it's likely, like, You need to Mm -hmm. check with your accountant just to be safe. But, and yeah, that's, whereas if you go and buy a property, if it's your only property and you go and buy a property in another state where you can't really access it easily to make improvements, to improve your asset base, it's going to make it pretty hard. Yeah, and it's something that a lot of people do.
0: I know, look, but the only thing is that when you're buying As as an investor versus an owner-occupier, as owner-occupiers will approach the market with far more emotion invested in their decisions as opposed to numbers. It's always emotional when you're dropping half a million dollars in a house. Like there's always an emotion tied to your savings and tied to your future with that as an investment. Sometimes it can be difficult for myself if I'm looking for a client and they, they are looking as an investor. And this happens from time to time where there's that little bit of an undercurrent nervousness for them saying, what if one day I need to live in it? So, therefore, yeah, okay. it does have to meet, it has to tick two boxes. One, it's going to serve really great as an investment property and a bit of a workhorse for me, and it's going to provide yeah. a great yield. Secondly, I may need to move into it at some point. And yeah. I do understand that mindset, but that can be a little bit of a difficult equation to meet depending on okay, the Okay, So,
1: you're seeing it from a completely different standpoint, which is interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I must Ooh. admit, I've had that conversation a few times with people just saying, yeah like not everyone would live in their investment properties that's the reality of it but i guess it's just one of those things that if you're approaching the market and it's bit of a complicated formula when I have clients come to me and have that. And sometimes it's just coming from fear. What yeah. if the world imploded? What if I got divorced? What if I had to move into stable? You know, but yeah. So there's a whole bunch of different reasons why they do approach the property. But for me, I think, it, look at it as a workhorse. Is it going to perform well? Can you add value to it? Is it in an area with growth projection, etc., etc.? But that's the reason you use a, a buyer's agent or somebody yeah. to represent you because, from my perspective, it's all about the numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, so you,
1: like you're not just a buyer's agent, you're a property strategist. And I think that's what sets you apart from a standard run-of-the-mill buyer's agents. Because if you go to a buyer's agent and you say, I want to buy a property, they'll say, what do you want to buy an investment property? Fine, let's go and get it. Whereas if someone comes to you, you're going to be investigating what their strategy is and yeah. getting to and figuring out whether what they're because if you're not in the market and you're not in property all the time, it's hard to really see the wood for the trees. So that coming to someone like you is an opportunity to really review your strategy and make sure that it's going to get you to where you want to go. So mm-hmm. I think that's another reason why someone like you, I know I'm biased, but because it, you're getting more than just buying a property, you could buy any property yeah. to meet their brief, but is it going to deliver what they want?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and look, this is why Greg and I have often approached. What we do just as a foundation behavior thing with our business. Would we put our money into that property? Was that what we would recommend? And clients have actually said to me, "We want to buy in this area," and I've gone, "Why? Yeah. <laughs> like for what reason?" And it could be just for their oh, I used to holiday there when I was a kid, but that's not a good enough reason for you to make that an investment choice. What is it that you really want out of this? Now, ultimately, if that was really where they want to invest their money, of course, I'm there to support that decision. However, I will challenge those things and those decisions. And as I said, I'd always want to say I would never put someone's money into something that I wouldn't be prepared to put my own money into, whether that's the calibre of the build, the property, the street it's on, all of the other bits and pieces that come into that equation when you're looking to buy a property. However, if a client is hell-bent on a certain area, I will let them know that this is the risk. I did this not that long ago and I said in 10 years it's only gone up and it's a very remote regional area. And I said, just to let you know, it's only gone up about 4 4%, 4%. or whatever, it was a tiny number in 10 years, you know, just to be buyer aware. I think that's, and ultimately it's your money, your decision, and I'm here to help the process, but just, yeah, buyer beware. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that's the thing when you're not in it day in, day out, you don't really think about all the things that you need to think about before buying a property. So that's, I guess, why they invest in expertise, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> so let's go back and just recap on what we've talked about so basically with the market is still very buoyant
0: it is particularly yeah. in
1: houses and yeah. sorry go on
0: oh no no just as i'm saying it it's like i'm still queuing to get in the door <laughs> And this is the reason it's great when I can get my foot in the door prior to the Saturdays or prior to the Wednesdays. I'm in there before anyone else. But some properties have got tenants in there and the tenants have got their own um, rights around how often people come through. I'm beholden to the queues like everybody else on Saturdays and so... I don't actively see any slowing down at this point, but as I said, there's a little bit more choice coming on. There's more than just two houses in the suburbs.
1: Yeah, I know. And that's been my experience. And I was wishful that it was slowing down, but I think you're probably right. Certainly the feedback I've been getting is the prices are staying pretty stable, but there is more stock. And so that we've got more choice, which is great. And, but of course Because it's such a great time to be in property, don't be put off by thinking you can't find a deal. You absolutely can find a deal. There's always one out there, but you've just got to start getting out there and and doing what it takes to find it. Don't be put off by thinking you can't find a deal. You absolutely can find a deal. Like there's always one out there, but you've just got to start getting out there and and doing what it takes to find it. Absolutely agree. Building the relationships, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, Joe. Another episode successfully completed. I think we're on one twenty nine now, which is pretty epic. And yeah, thanks for making the time to come and have a little chat. And thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to meet up with a group of savvy renovating, I shouldn't say it's all women because it's not, savvy renovators I'll say, come over and join She Renovates. It's a completely free Facebook group and it is growing at the rate of knots. We hit 1,000 members just recently and now it seems to have picked up momentum. And so they are all savvy renovating women and men that are working their little hearts out to live a better life through renovating. Join if you're not already a member and then ask, comment and do whatever you would like to do in order to further your renovation journey. And that's it for me today. So I'll see you next week. This is
0: the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.